0: Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 63 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled, The Church of Laodicea. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now this is, John Wimber said this, It seems the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin. Anybody see that one? But the more I think about just loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. (laughs) Falling in love seems to be the key. Good word, John. John. Because when we get into all of these uh, situations as Christians and politically with our government, with our land, what's going on in the world, uh, I know some people believe it's not any worse now than it was, but it's still pretty bad. Uh, if we're, it's we have a litmus test to see if we're getting out of kilter or not. If we're loving Jesus more every day, that's your calibration. That's what you calibrate yourself to. That's good. Because if you don't, you'll get so politically minded, you'll get so minded of what's going on in the earth today that you'll not see what God's doing on behalf of a fallen earth fallen nation and I'm the type that I like to see how dirty dirty is I want to know the truth but then I also understand the responsibility is to understand God wants to redeem that truth can you hear what I'm saying? And I know we, all the hot topics, transgender, transgender and homosexuality, all the, the hot topics that are out there. But let me tell you something this morning. That is not the worst problems that we have at hand. It is moral issues. But we have some problems much worse than that. The Scriptures tells us that we're to love one and uh, how the church's behavior is to be towards the sinner and sin. We're to preach the truth. We're to love sinners. The Bible plainly tells us how we need to behave. That's the reason I say I don't have to look to my government for how I'm to respond to that truth. The Bible tells me how to respond to that truth, not the government, with the Bible. And I can find us if we're not, and I think we need to fight for truth, but at the same time, are we living unto the truth more than we're fighting for the truth? I can find a lot of people that will fight for this book, but not that many will read it. Don't, don't feel too good about yourself if you'll just fight for the Word of God, just the point, and not live the Word of God. Now, as we move forward, the Church of Laodicea, this is kind of a precursor to this church, the problems that it has. It's called a church of a final state of the apostasy. It's called the lukewarm church, probably the day in which we find ourselves living today. Revelation chapter 3 is where we'll look here, verses 14 through 19. Now, I'll start with this little question Is this the end? Or maybe just the beginning. You can say, well, everything has to come to an end before you have a new beginning, so to speak. It's your call. It's your call. It's my call. Is this the end of the world? Is it the end or is it the beginning? Is it the end of people living in sin or is it the the day that is going to be their beginning for living in eternity? We have to observe that that is sin and is wrong, but our goal is to bring reconciliation into that that's lost. Um, I submit to you today, if we lose sight of that, then it causes our ship, if you will, to be one-sided, like I saw a picture on the Internet the other day of this huge ship hauling all of this freight across the ocean, and it hit some big waves, and all of the containers shifted, and it was coming in, but it was coming in. <laughs> it didn't look like it was going to make it. Well, the church looks the same way a lot of times to me. It's like we get so one-sided, it looks like we're sinking instead of thriving. Can you hear me? So it's an, it really is important what we're projecting here. It's really, really important. Now let's move on quickly as we see this church see Laodicea. Now we see the end is not yet. According to Scripture, Matthew 24, 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take ye that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, he says, For nation shall rise against nation, and you know the scripture. Uh, In the beginning of the seven churches, we we spoke about Christendom versus Christianity. I have to remind you of that going into this church of Laodicea. Of Christendom versus Christianity. We need to understand the deception and the difference. Now, deception begins when you ask the wrong person for a right answer. That's when deception begins. You ask the wrong person for the right answer. Uh, If I had a, if I asked this congregation, i say, well, I've got something wrong with me. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting a cold, COVID, or whatever. I could ask anybody in here. I would probably tend, uh, this is not for Trevor to know, but I'd probably ask Dr. Craig, even though he's not uh, doctoring these days, I'd probably ask him for his opinion. The reason is, I think that would be the best place in the room to go to, for me to plus I trust him uh, to get an opinion to get the right answer. Keeping this in mind again, now in Christendom versus Christianity, do you go to? Do we go to the world? Do we go to Christendom or do we go to true Christianity? Now there is that is a difference. Our the problems in the end of the age is going to be more with Christendom than it is the world. Now, you test what I say. You don't have to believe me, but you test what I say. That's the reason I said a minute ago, there's more problems than sin of this world. That's a set of problems for sure. Thank you so much. That's a set of problems. But we got a greater problem, if you allow me to use a measurement. I don't know that that's fair, but um, it seems like everything I do for the last 30 days has been either making silage and I've been working with pollen for 30 days and it's it's winning this round so far so Christendom I just want you to consider for a moment this is not about an argument this is about a thought okay we're not measuring here I'm trying to provoke you to think we have a greater problem than the world on our hands at the end of the age Considerations and understanding the end times. Christendom is kind of the universal church. We call it the remnants, true, born-again uh, Christians. That's another topic. Then you have culture, which is a religion versus enlightenment. And that's what we have going on today more, is the culture trying to, to dominate right and wrong. Uh, I'll throw this in there. Your federal government... Is not to dictate what culture is. It has nothing to do with it. Uh, Transgender, homosexuality. That's not the government's problem. Now, listen to me. We are so used to that being a governmental problem, we think that the government's supposed to give us the answer. It's not even supposed to be to disgust in our government. It's not a governmental problem. Can you see how far off of our topics we've gotten? It's not, it's not a governmental issue. I don't let people go to Washington to decide that. That's not a governmental problem. And we have accepted that it is. So now we're wanting to enter a debate and there's somebody on the forum that's not even supposed to be there. Can you hear me? Now, follow with me as we go here. Now, a mixture creates confusion in the church, as 1 John puts it this way, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they be of God. Now, when this is a problem is when there's a spirit trying to represent the truth, just the truth, the truth of God. There, again, it's a little slippery slope, and you've got to kind of read between the lines of what I'm trying to convey. The Bible also tells us to test all things, hold fast, what is good. Now, anybody know who that is? That's Prince Charles, or King Charles now. He, he is. Now, believe it or not, he is, uh, he's got his kingship going on now. And, uh, but he also carries a, a, a great authority. All right, he's got their crown in him here. And to an American, King Char- what is said is King Charles, well, it's just a figurehead. And they're, to us, it's like they're going through a play. Doesn't really mean nothing. It's just they're going through the motions of sustaining their old culture, but it means nothing. You don't sustain something this long that means nothing. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're not putting on a good elaborate play for nothing. All right? Now, you've got to understand that uh, when he was crowned there, St. Edward's crown, I think as at 1600 is placed on the king's head by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now King Charles is the head basically of the Anglican Church or the Protestant arm. You've got, and last week I went over the Catholic and the Orthodox and then the Protestant. Well here you've got now King Charles is head of the Anglican, or it's not Orthodox, not Catholic, but the Anglican, which is the Protestant group. Thus, we're not Anglican, but we're Protestant. There's three there's three basic groups, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant. All of this ceremony and stuff is about him being head of the church. That's what that's about and we can go on, if you're Bible students and you can read, research that a little bit and come back and tell me how happy you are. That man carries more weight on the globe than anybody. Most of the countries that England, uh, let's say, owned and Uh, I'll not go into all the countries, about 160 countries now. uh, He still owns the title deeds to them. So of all the world, uh, that man sitting in that seat right now is the most powerful man on the planet. We're led to believe they're going through a little fairy tale. I'm just saying there's things going on, and our biggest problem... uh, is in the church, and we're going to find out it's going to be even in the Protestant arm. Okay? It's going to be some, there's some egg on our face pretty close home. But what about the church? All human kingdoms become Babylon. Can you hear that? All human kingdoms become a Babylon. Sooner or later, all this water's going downhill including the United States. Okay. Babylon is about convincing people and controlling. That's what it's about. It's about convincing people and controlling. That's the reason when I bring up the topic about homosexuality or or something like that, and I bring that up, automatically we think, well that's a governmental they they can have a seat at the table to discuss that problem. No, they can't. It's not a governmental problem. You see what I'm saying? Babylon is about convincing people and controlling. So we're being convinced that the federal government is this arm in controlling us. It's, it's way overreaching, way, 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 way overreaching. We've been convinced to take an argument with it. When I'm submitting to you, they're not even supposed to be sitting at the table to argue the point. Right. If you can hear what I'm saying now. But I'm, I'm saying that's the spirit of Babylon. It's important that you understand that going into, if you go into the book of Revelation. The church is about helping people and setting them free. You don't convince people to buy your product. You show them how your product will help them and they will buy every time. Christianity will work. You don't convince somebody to be born again. You show people, here's the product of being born again. But most of us, or a lot of us, are so sourpussed that nobody wants what we got. <laughs> and the world's not looking for a church that goes around talking about the government all the time. That's true, too. That's true, too. The, an individual, there's two, there's, there's two things, basically it happens with sin here. You have individual sin, then you have the sin of a nation. Most Christians are carrying on the same the conversation about both entities at the same time. Talking about the sin of the nation, then talking about your sin. You get no. When you come to the book, you deal with sin as an individual. When God has problem with a nation and sin is when it starts making the laws of the land that are sin acceptable. Then all of a sudden God goes, you have messed up. We find ourselves as a nation doing that now. We are making laws of the land, sin, acceptable behavior. We are in trouble on that front with God. God. But that is a another issue that's separate. Somewhat, you got to. The Bible says you got to rightly divide these things. You got to. You got to put them in the right so you can see clearly. So you're dealing with individual sin. If you want to talk to a person about their individual sin, don't throw them into a national sin and think they're personally going to get what you're saying. And we so mix the two in the same conversation, we're helping no one. There's a time and a place for both conversations. But if we are a church and we're going out from here and wanting to help the world and save the world, do I think that we need to have a Bible in one hand or a trial in the other perhaps or a sore? Yes. We are to be a dual-purpose believer, but I would that we would stand before God leading more people to Christ than fighting our particular government. Could it be if we all led more people to Christ, it would change the government? Just an aggravating thought. Now, so you, you've got to understand, we're not trying to convince somebody into Christianity. And, and that's, what a, that's what a debate is. A debate is trying to convince somebody of your position That is not what we're plugged into. We're not plugged into a debate machine. Now, I will say this. There's different people in the body of Christ. God's God's got some that are to walk in government issues more, governmental problems more. Then He's got others that are to get hit the individuals more. Let's don't require everybody to act the same way. Let's respect everybody and where God's placed them. Let's understand we need it all. Good. The question is, are you being faithful to what God's called you to do? Yeah. And it's... Uh, well, uh, I'm not going to get stuck there. So, you are not convinced of salvation, but you receive the help of the truth unto salvation. So as the church... Uh, I'm all about standing for what's true, what's right. I'm all about, I mean, I do a, a daily podcast that debates these issues. That's part of who I am. But at the same time, I don't confuse that when I'm wanting to talk to an individual about the condition of his soul and where he'll spend eternity when you understand that you're not convincing somebody. Now, when you're dealing with lost people on a governmental level, you better know how to debate because you're holding ground. You are debating truth versus a lie. But that's another topic. Let's move on here. Now, here's the seven churches quickly. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia. Now we're into Laodicea. You can see the different eight, uh, how they represented different times over the last 2,000 years. You see that. We just did Philadelphia, which was number six. That's prophetic awakening. Uh, Then in Laodicea, as we see now, is number uh, seven. And it says time of the judgment and the opening of the seven seals. You see that? so as you enter into the book of Revelation I've had people say to me Alan do you think the four horsemen have been loose and I said yes I think they're riding Uh, I do now watch this so, here's, you got four main groups of sevens in the book of Revelation. We're coming out of, the, the, of Laodicea. You've got to understand that the Laodicea church is the church age which we see ourselves in, that these four groups, you see the Laodicea church number seven on the top line? See that? Now, you see, That's the seven churches. Now you'll see the seven seals. You see that? You'll go into the seven seals. You see white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse, the martyrs, earthquakes, angels. You see that? What you've got to understand is that the seven seals are in the Laodicean church age. So that means every one of these can already be started. Are you with me? Now look at the next one. Here you got the seven trumpets. Well, the seven trumpets are in the last seal, number seven, where you see angels. The reason the book of Revelation seems to be somewhat complicated, you've got to understand the seals are in Laodicea. The trumpets are in angels, the seventh seal. But all of that's in Laodicea age. So all this is happening pre-tribulation, pre-second coming. You see that? Then you got the next one there, of course, is the seven vials of wrath. You've got Jesus' return. Then you've got these wrath is poured out. Satan, you got the Armageddon. Satan's thrown in the pit a thousand years and he's let loose. And all, you got to go through another thousand years after that before the new Jerusalem comes down. Now, Do you see under the seven trumpets, let's let's see. Uh, see, Let's go up to the seven seals. You see earthquakes, martyrs, pale horse, black horse, red horse, white horse. Then number seven trumpets, you see hail fire. Well, hail fire, mountain into the sea, star falling from... The seven trumpets are the second half of the prophecy of Joel. You all know the prophecy of Joel, right? Acts two, sons and so, you know the sons and daughters will dream dreams and see visions and yada yada yada. Then you're going to have some terrible stuff, but then you've got what we call the church age, laid to see. We're stuck right in that prophecy of Joel right in the middle. So the seven trumpets has not basically begun, because I know we're still the second half of that prophecy hasn't started. But you see the seven seals are they being open? I'd say yes. Laodicea, how does this fit? Let's look at it quickly. You see where the Laodicea church is. You see Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergama, Smyrna, Ephesus, there. We're in Laodicea, which is the seventh church. Now, what we want to look at quick, quickly, we'll do a little history here. In 250 B.C., it was taken by the Syrians Antitonus II, rebuilt the town and renamed it after his wife uh, Laodice. 190 B.C., it became part of the kingdom of Pergamos and ultimately passed into the hands of the Roman Empire after that. According to Josephus, there was a large Jewish a colony there. Now Laodicea, wow. There's so much that goes on in that city. And you can see why we would call the church today at the end of the age, which we find ourselves in this Laodicea uh, church age. Now here's what was going on. It was a city of merchants, bankers, gold refiners. Now that's important as we get into what Jesus says. It was at the junction of roads leading from Ephesus and Smyrna, much wealth flowed through Laodicea. Caravan trade came in as far as east as the Yellow River and the China Sea. Now, this is what happened. An earthquake destroyed the city in 62 AD. They refused help from Rome. Rome said, We'll come help you rebuild. They said they were rich and needed nothing from anyone. That's pretty arrogant, isn't it? But here you had this earthquake came in, and Rome found out. It just it really devastated the place. They said, no, we don't need it. We've got enough money to rebuild it ourselves. We don't need you. You can see why Jesus, as we get into this church, or the Laodicea church, why he said, you have no need of nothing. It all starts, it's amazing how that scripture just takes the lay of the land Jesus puts it into a word of what's actually happening before his very eyes. Now, just watch it. You've got Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae. Now, Colossae, the book of what? Colossians was well, to Colossae, and then you got Laodicea. Then you got uh, Heropolis. Uh, they These are. These were very close together, just, uh, I don't know, eight to 10, 12 miles maybe apart, this a triangle. They were so close together, they didn't, have a, they didn't make a distinction between the cities, but all the trade and everything moved so much between those three cities, it was times that they were almost considered one in a lot of comparisons and a lot of conversations. Somebody could refer to Colossia and they would consider Laodicea with it in their conversation. You can see that in the scriptures in a couple of places. So here you see Heropolis, Laodicea, Colossia. You can see how closely knit together they were. And it just so happens that the trade route went around that circle. Now, so uh, can anybody say that word? Pumakal? And it's it's hard to say with a redneck accent uh pamukel whatever it's the name of a little town uh, meaning in turkish it, it, what it means is the cotton castle now this is in that one uh, little town uh, the area is famous for uh, carbonate mineral left by the flowing of thermal spring water so there were some springs there that in the water, it was had a lot of different minerals in it, actually. Uh, but what it was uh, famous for was a uh, carbonate. The Turkish name refers to the surface of the shimmering snow-white limestone shaped over millennia by calcium rich springs. Dripping slowly down the mountainside, mineral-rich waters collect in and cascade down the mineral terr- terraces into the pools below. There's a picture of it. That's just that right there in the middle of... of it's just stuck on the side of the mountain. Green vegetation all around. These hot springs are bubbling out of the ground there. And uh, they deposit uh, that carbonate and uh, different, all kinds of minerals there uh, coming out of their springs. There's a shot. And see how it's green. It's just on that mountainside there where this water's been running over uh, for so many uh, years. There's another shot. You see those little pools. Uh, People actually go there and they lay in the pools uh, for healing purposes. They were considered healing springs. It it, it was part of even the spa system of Laodicea. Uh, They were rich and had no need of nothing. They they had the spas uh, built around uh, spas like of Rome and a lot of uh, a lot of that's what that was, you know, how it has made those. Now, An archa- this is an archaeological site of Heroplius in wherever that is, Turkey. Now, understand, that's right above Laodicea. I mean, you about throw a rock at it, so to speak. Uh, the photo shows the uh, frontness or the gate at the front of the street. So that was in that, that just gives you a little bit of an archaeology view of this city right above Laodicea, which they all work together. There's some of the hot springs down below it. You can see it's somewhat of a a resort there today. Now, in this, uh, this is actually a theater there at Heropolis. You can see it's, I mean, it's that's a huge theater. I think it holds like 12,000, 15,000 of them. That's huge. So, how many people must have been at those springs? <laughs> Uh, uh to have such a such a theater of this. Now you've got to understand, Laodicea had two theaters. Basically nobody during that age had two theaters. But in Laodicea they had one theater that would get the morning sun and another theater that got the evening sun so they could have theaters all day long. You'd go from one and you could go to the other. Could you say they thought they were rich and had no need of nothing? But this is the one there. So you can see that the the idea that we get here is about pleasure. Pleasure was off the charts. Everything was about spas, theater. Uh, That was just the the whole concept. Now, the lukewarm church, he said, a highly successful commercial financial center, with a theater, aqueducts, baths, gymnasiums, and a stadium still survives to testify. this is in Laodicea. So here's one of, uh, of the theaters in Laodicea. Now there again, Laodicea was known for its center of banking. Also, and that's the reason Jesus refers to the gold, be refined as gold. All of the metaphors that he uses in describing this Laodicea church is there. And what in in the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, it says that God gave these things to Jesus to give to the churches to signify or signify. In other words, He said, read the signs around you. So when it goes to these seven churches, what Jesus does, He gives them all these signs of everything that's around that church. He said, "Read the signs." And so that's what he's telling us, Laodiceans, read the signs all around us to see where we are. Now, there's difference in being convinced of your mind and seeing something. And we're walking in the spirit, and we can have the gift of the Holy Spirit to discern what we're seeing. That's different than words. Prophetic seeing is different than somebody trying to convince us through words. There comes that we're living in a point in time that words can almost be confusing. Anything but the Word of God. Man's words used to be his, he'd put his life on what he said. Today's words are Basically, they just bring confusion. Basically, so, but in these days, the the church of Jesus Christ is to use discernment to see the signs of the time, see what's going on around you. Now, it doesn't change your mission. Our mission is evangelize the world, but it shows us how to move around in this. Uh, so, they had a gymnasium, stadium, all this sort of stuff. It was incredible. There's some of the ruins. Uh, I don't know. I just I get caught up in the archaeology of it and just can get lost. It's so amazing to me all these roads and this is the modern uh, city of Laodicea. Can somebody pronounce that? Escahera or whatever. That'll doodle. Y'all can come up with a better one. Uh, just more of the ruins. Now, this is a water pipe. Do you see that? Now, in Laodicea, it was great. It was in a plain. They had these mountains to the right of them that had these these mineral springs, this this warm water, hot water. It wasn't warm. It was hot. On the other side, they had mountains that were snow-capped, and there would be cold water coming off of those snow-capped mountains, and you had the hot water, uh, coming out of Herodias or wherever that place was and they would and and Laodicea didn't have any water. So they would pipe water in to Laodicea. Isn't that something? So Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold is to be mixed. What happened with the water? It mixed in Laodicea. But there again he's saying look around you, read What's happening around you? There's another uh, one of the water, part of the water system. Now, Laodicea means justice of the people. Okay? Laodicea. Justice of the people. Known for banking, manufacturing, and is also known for medicine. And I'll show you that here in just a moment. They had poor water supply. They were known for their black sheep wool. Now, this is interesting because being a farmer, i would read up on that one. I got interested in that one. There was a particular breed, purebred uh, sheep, that had that pure black wool, and it was there. That's the only place you could find it, it was in that one place. And, that, and Laodicea was known for their carpets and their weaves uh, that came. This, and this particular black wool was just very, very soft. It was... Uh, the characteristics were incredible. This wool was pr- produced from a particular strain of sheep bred in the uh, Lucas Valley and for the cloth and carpets manufactured from it. They also had a famous school of medicine known for ointment and powder for treating your eyes, a type of eye salve. <laughs> Is that not amazing? Because you'll see when we start to read the scripture that he speaks that you need some eye salve, which stands for the Holy Spirit, uh, and what he's saying is you need to see better than what you're seeing. Now, this is interesting. Paul's first letter to Timothy was written by him from Laodicea. So we know that according to 1 Timothy 6.21, that Paul wrote uh, to him from there. Now, remember, you got Laodicea and you got the Colossia. And these, uh, ch- uh, and you had churches in all three of these little uh, these cities here. Uh, now it's mentioned five times in Colossians. Now with this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodiceans. Does that make sense now? This is the Colossian letter, but Paul wrote it and he said, listen, be sure that you run a copy to the church in Laodicea, just right down the road, so you can understand why he was saying that. See that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. He said, don't only send it. Go there and read it. So they would send their letters back and forth because they were they were actually so close together. It brings you understanding on why uh, Paul said this in Colossians 4.16. The two churches were instructed to pass the letters back and forth between themselves. Now here's a rebuke. I know your works, cold or hot, vomit, that's a good word on a Sunday morning, wretched Miserable, poor, blind, naked. Now, as you read this one, and all the other churches, he said, I know your works and you did pretty good here, but I've got this against you. He goes into Laodicea. It's not a bragging point. He just jumps right into, I know your works, okay, hot or cold. I'm going to vomit it out, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, you're naked. He doesn't have a bragging point to this church. And for us here at New Life, I would to God that the Lord could look here and have at least one bragging point. So, (laughs) all right, I mean, let's try to fall into Philadelphia more than Laodicea. Now, there's one thing about the seven churches. It gives us the idea that a little bit of all seven churches are in each church. Uh, Throw that in there so you don't drown. And to the angel of the church of Laodicean's right, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold or hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Once you see the lay of the land and he says, look at the signs around you, you can understand what he's saying just a little more to this church. Now look here. Leo, Laodiceans. The word Leo means what? It means people. Uh, Deceans means rulers. The name Laodicean means rule, but the people. Who is supposed to rule the church? If you understand that, you understand why I'm such a fanatic on who's in charge here. Is because I don't want to be found as a in church. And standing here before you is my responsibility to say that we are not ruled by the people. We want Jesus to be in charge here. Amen. Now, we live in a United States where the people run the country, supposedly. But that's the idea. And we'll bring that idea into the church. Now, does that mean we're to be brain dead? No, I mean, that's a topic in itself. And the person that will fix that question, they have to go to the right person to get the right answer, will be Dr. Trevor Craig, as he's teaching on who's in charge here. (laughs) And he will answer. And that is a really, it's not like we have the old answer, how to get there, but we know it's the right question. Who is in charge here? And we're constantly, one thing for sure, and I've said it over and over again, that we don't like to put man on a pedestal here. We, we maybe don't know how to make Jesus fully charged, but we know how not to make us in charge. So therefore, the pedestal is off limits to anybody but Jesus in this house. Amen. So, who's to rule the church? Now you see the word amen there? I thought, oh, this is so much fun. Uh, it's also, uh, it uses it also in Revelation 1, 7. Uh, these things say the amen, the favorite. Now, if you'll notice there, most of the time if you're in a church, uh, somebody will say something, amen. Well, here the amen's in the middle. And, and where churches got that from is when the preacher's preaching, and it just so happens, I don't care where you go to church. If you're preaching or teaching and you hear an amen around the congregation, it does something to the speaker. It might get on some people's nerves, but all of a sudden you're like, you can, you gotta trust me in this one. I can feel it. I'm not requiring that. Don't, don't get, we're not saying, okay, everybody say amen. One, two, three. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> I'm saying when the, when the congregation is engaged, and you're entering in with the preaching, a raise of a hand, throw a hanky, or, I mean, what, what happens is, when, when a person gives a testimony, when a person gives a testimony, that's like an amen. In other words, who's in charge here? Well, let me tell you what Jesus done for me this week. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me this week. We had two testimonies last week, and it opened up, all heaven and hell broke loose. Over two testimonies. And I'm, and I'm not kidding. There again, who's in charge here? Are we wanting people to testify and not be moved to the Holy Ghost? Please no. But if you're being moved with the Holy Ghost, please yes. Or you can be moved to say, Amen. It's good. It's fine. What it does is it brings the congregation. It brings us all together in who's in charge here in Jesus having a, 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 an influence in the atmosphere of the room. <laughs> but there again, it's, it's not just because you feel like you've got to discern yourself. Do you just feel like I want everybody to hear you? Or do you feel like if I don't say this, I'm going to bust? Jesus is going to kill me if I don't say this. And I might even ask somebody to come in. Now, do you feel like Jesus is going to kill you or not? It might be our little test. You know? <laughs> but, but it's being moved with the Holy Ghost, and it's being, who's in charge here? We're wanting Jesus to be in charge of this place. It doesn't have to be during this part of me. it. Be, worship is a wonderful place. To worship God and to, who's in charge here? We're worshiping Jesus and every individual here is participating together. There's something that goes on during those times that you cannot put in words, but it's right because we can observe it. We can signify it. (laughs) We can see what's going on around us. And I'm going to hush right there. So we'll stop at amen and pick up there next week. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that these people will test what I've said and hold fast to that that's good and they'll overlook what they didn't think's good and it'd fall to the ground. But Lord, if anything I said is good and true and of you, I pray that it would actively be part of this house, that you might be glorified, uh, that this church house could be sitting on the side of the road here And Lord, I pray that you could find something good about us here that you can say, that you could draw people into this house because it's a good place to go to meet God. Bless us this day. Bless us this worship. Jesus, we do pray that you'll be in charge here. That's all we know to do. It's all we know to ask. We don't claim to know what that'll look like, but we do claim to know how to ask it and everyone in the house said amen and amen. Thank you.